Welcome back. Uh, it's the same shit as it was before. That's right. We're starting it off like that. We are back. <laughs> the Montreal Canadiens. Nothing's changed. It's the same garbage. I'm going to welcome in two guests today. Julian McKenzie and Scott Matla. <laughs> How's it going, boys? Hey, did something hey. happen? Did the Canadiens win? What happened? Oh, my God. This well, team. It's hard to watch. <laughs> I mean, they held Jack Hughes, PK Subban, and Dougie Hamilton without a point tonight. It doesn't matter that two out of yeah, two out of three of them didn't play, but that doesn't matter because we're just taking moral victories at this point. I'm pretty oh sure God. in this season, moral, moral moral victories are for minor league coaches. And I'm sorry, but Dominic Ducharme doesn't even look he doesn't even look like he cut out, he's cut off for the minor leagues at this point. I, I, was I say that's an douche, that's a, that's an insult, yeah. man. It's, Have you I, seen Jean-Francois Hool? I'm just think, J, look, JF Hool and Laval Rocket right now, I, they're trying to do everything that they can to keep the vibes up and try to have them go for the playoffs. Dominic Ducharme, I mean, at this point, he's going to be the guy. The team said that they were going to keep him. I, I Man, it's tough to play for that guy right now, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, let's like, speaking of moral victories, right? Uh, I write for a betting site. I do some work for them, and... So, like, I'm constantly looking at the odds of games on, like, Tuesdays and Saturdays, which is often days where the Canadians play. Outside of Thursdays, which they also usually play because I don't really check the odds on off days where I'm not writing. It's been months, months since I've seen the Canadians favored in a game. They were favored to win tonight. Because let's talk about the Devils a little bit. Because they were going to talk about moral victories. Let's establish that there are none. <laughs> the Devils were without Jack Hughes, who has been great up until this point, like the last stretch since he came back from injury, because he's on the COVID protocol list now. They're without Dougie Hamilton, who I think is arguably their best player. They've lost 10 out of 11 games coming into this one. Just brutal. Seven straight. <laughs> They're on the second half of a back to back with travel. Short travel from Ottawa, but still with travel. Canadians have been rested. They've got guys back from injury. I mean, like they have their own injuries too, especially in goal. But frankly, I had never heard of who the Devils have in net tonight before tonight. So uh, this is bad. It might be the I worst. I don't even game know who year. was in net. John Gillies played in net, and I'm pretty sure he was on a PTO in the AHL to start the season. Uh, he was signed to a PTO in uh, for the Islanders to start the season and ended up on the Devils on some kind of deal. He was in the AHL like a month ago. Like They lost to like their fifth choice goaltender tonight on a back-to-back without two of their best players. I, I, I keep saying, I don't know, and we keep saying, I don't know how much lower this can get, but God willing, they're going to try some point here that it's going to go lower. Yo, man, I have to say, like, I genuinely thought that Minnesota loss would be as low as it would get for the Montreal Canadiens. I figure you go through a loss like that, losing 8-2, that's still the most goals they've allowed in a game. Like, that is as low as it gets. It still may very well be that point, but I just figured we'd see more games with a bit more fight, and we have not seen that. And I get there's injuries. I get uh, all the other stuff going on with the team. It's just... These performances, I'm sure for fans, they're feeling the same thing that, that I have to say now. It's unacceptable for people to watch this. Like it's yeah. it's 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 ridiculous. And this is like, you know, Julian and I chat all the time in a group chat that we have on Twitter, and we're talking just like what the future of the team is gonna be. And I don't think anybody wants Kent Hughes to make a move just to make a move or to make a panic move to try to get, you know, some wins in there. I don't think anybody even wants the Canadians to win. But they can kind of get away with this right now where there's very few fans in the building. But uh, the Quebec government released today their plan to like re-escalate or go out of the restrictions is about the same as what we have in Ontario, uh, which is, I think, February 24th, I think they said. They're going to have 50% February capacity. February 21st. The, 21st, yes. okay. So 50% capacity at the Bell Centre. 
when you have people paying $300 for a ticket in the Reds for this, I feel like then there's a certain amount of pressure on Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon not to make them a winning team. Nobody's saying that, but to not make them an absolute embarrassment. And frankly, their last stretch of games is more than just being bad. They have been unbelievably embarrassing. There is no fight to be had. There's like the goalies cannot stop anything and like no disrespect to them. I think Caden Primo is just not ready. Sam Montembeau is being asked to do something he should not be being asked to do. Frankly, it's just awful. And like, they have to figure out something to get the team to a point of respectability that might come naturally after the trade deadline, just moving some bodies out and having like a bit of a, like a fresh start, like a clean slate for a lot of these players. And maybe by then like, Harry Price could be back. Jake Allen could be back. We don't know. But I think they can't wait that long. They, they've got to do something. I know that Pierre Lebron on the broadcast mentioned the idea of maybe Anton Kudobin, who I think was a Kent Hughes client and has gone through waivers already this year. So maybe there's something there that they can figure out. They just have to work out the salary. And I don't know what the Canadians are at for contracts. They must be close to 50 with all the injuries they've had to deal with. But they've got to do something to be a little bit more respectable because this is just painful. Yeah. I think even if it means, and, it, and I get that maybe with the guys, with the way that their salary structure might be, it's a lot harder to do, but even if it means signing Kevin Poulin to an NHL deal, just letting him play games until the goalies come off IR, like that's, that's just what it's going to have to take. I think I feel with the Canadians as healthier bodies start to come back into the lineup, you should be doing everything you can to get those guys in and send guys like Cole Caulfield down to the minors. I can understand why you'd want to keep up Ryan Paling in spite of the fact that he'd be in a losing environment because just like tonight, he, he's he's playing well. He's 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 at least responding to the fact that he's getting NHL minutes and he's playing well. Like he actually looked as if he was the best Canadians forward on the ice right now. But for a guy like Cole Caulfield and for Caden Primo, they're not responding as well as the Canadians would like them to in, in this environment. And it's a lot better for them to at least play meaningful hockey, even if it's in the American Hockey League, but meaningful minutes in the AHL as opposed to playing on this crappy Canadians team. This team, this, this team may go down, if it hasn't already, as the worst team of the salary cap era. And I'm sure there is strong oh, further back than that. <laughs> They're the worst team of the modern era, I think. I think I think since expansion. Maybe yeah. not as bad as the Capitals, but like they they, they have the same number of wins right now. That I think they're approaching, approaching it though. <laughs> yeah. That team of that Rick Green was on well, like seven or eight wins. Like, yeah, that team is they're right on par. Yeah, they were yeah, and like Scott mentioned, they were an expansion team. If you exclude expansion teams, the last team that's been this level of bad in the NHL was the 1989-1990 Quebec Nordiques, who tanked for Owen Nolan. And it was in the middle of three years in a row where they finished in last place and got the first overall pick. And I, I brought this up, uh, Steve Dangle mentioned on the Steve Dangle podcast a couple weeks ago, that the Nordiques finished, uh, picked first overall three years in a row, and then five years later, as the Avalanche, won the Stanley Cup with none of those players. They picked Matt Sundin, Owen Nolan, and Eric Lindros first overall three years in a row. Traded all of them. Obviously, Lindros forced that, but the other ones, I mean, the other thing is, like, the Sundin trade wasn't even good, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. trade a Hall of Fame for, like, a washed-up grinder. No offense to Wendell Clark, who was great when he was great, but fell off quickly because, like, you play that physical style, your body gets Damn. destroyed. He's called Wendell Clark washed up. There's a Leafs fan look as a beat you up right now. I was gonna say Wendell Clark as a Nordique was uh, not Wendell Clark, who is grossly overrated oh, no. by a lot of Toronto fans. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, all right. So Scott decided to be more directed, asked to get his ass. I'm look. I'm just saying what I know in my heart, and I will not disrespect Vancouver Canucks legend Matt Sundin like that. So I am. Uh, look, if my team's gonna be this bad, I'm gonna throw. Uh, I'm gonna be throwing strays out here when I get my chance. It's right there. It's just like Chicago legend Bobby Orr and et cetera, et cetera. So like, wow. the Red no legend Daniel Alfredson. Yes, that's my personal favorite, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I look at this team, and with Caden Primo, 
he was having such a good season. He was consistent in the AHL. It wasn't three or four good starts in a row, and then he kind of falls off for a little when he gets back. And then he's thrust into this situation. I think he played well. He played the game against the Avalanche. He had that shootout win against Philadelphia, and he looked good. And then the team just imploded, and he's being asked to do too much that he's not ready for. Samuel Montembeau is not a goalie made for this. Even Jake Allen, who uh, has performed admirably in comparison, it's you're asking for Sisyphus to finally push the boulder over the hill, and that's just not going to happen this season when your defense is what it is and the system is whatever the hell it is, which is not an existent. It's a bad situation for guys, but they don't have any choice but to play them because everyone's injured and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, um, it's just a combination of everything bad happening, and it's not even like the scores are close anymore. It's just, it's, uh, it's really, it's got to be hard to watch, especially as a young player on this, that you really can't do anything right now that works or fixes things. Ah, but what's also wild, too, is that we're seeing the stretch of games, the Minnesota game, uh, Edmonton and, and, and Columbus before the break, and, and now tonight against the New Jersey Devils. All these games, and I know there's a, little, a few more games I'm not, I'm not even mentioning here, that comes after they play against some tough opponents in, in Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas. And you can make an argument that might might have been their best three-game stretch of the year where they get four points out of a possible six. And you think, well, you know what? Even if the Canadians are not going to be a winning product, if they're going to go up against those three teams, all Western Conference teams, uh, I, I, I can't say off the top of the head where, where the Dallas Stars are, but I know they've been kind of up and down and they're expecting the best from guys like George, like Jamie Benn and, and Tyler Sagan. But we all know about how good Vegas and Colorado are, or at least supposed to be. But you go back to those stretch of games and look at how the Canadians lost those games. I mean, a bit of a situation where they kind of had – where they looked as if they are going to win and they have a loss coming towards them. But fans didn't mind that. At least they could say they competed in those games. I think that's what also makes this last stretch of games even worse because the Canadians at least looked as if they were going to turn some kind of a corner. And maybe there might have been hope that the second half of the year – would at least be a little bit better. And they had injuries then too in those three games. I think some guys were still on COVID protocol as well. And now you're just seeing this team. I don't know if it's the Minnesota game that broke them for real, but the wheels have completely, completely fallen off. Yeah, I'll tell you the the thing that stuck out to me about those games where they were brutally, brutally outshot. And like Montembeau had his best games of the season. Primo had his best game of the season, that stretch. But the Canadians were scoring goals, right? They were making yeah, defensive sacrifices to score some goals. And that, frankly, when you're going to lose anyway, is entertaining. And it's what they should be doing. Like, at this point, it's all fine and dandy to think, like, oh, yeah, Dom Ducharme is trying to get them to play with structure and play the right way. It's not going to be his structure next year. It, it just is not. I cannot see a scenario where Dom Ducharme is back next year. So let them play loose. Let the young kids make mistakes. And yeah, lose 6-5. It's better than losing 7-1. You know, like, let them try to score. Let them make some plays, you know? And, you know, we're looking for... We try to look for positives on the show every single time. And I I was trying to write things down during the game, and it wasn't much. The only thing that I came up with was Haling doing the net drive. Like, every single controlled entry, he was like, I'll just skate right to the net. And sometimes... The puck would get to him and he missed the net twice. I think he hit the post once and the one goal that they did get, he did the net drive. He didn't like touch the puck, but he was part of that goal. So that that's good. You know, he's uh, playing, he's playing well again, but uh, other than that, wasn't much to write home about. <laughs> hey, Caulfield shot the puck a lot. Yeah. I mean, Caulfield, I thought he had a good game. I mean, that line in general was good. Uh, Probably the first time I've said all season that UL Armia was good. So something. It, it's so tough. I'm glad that Ryan Paling played well because people are like, oh, should they send him down? It's like, I think he has NHL talent there. And it's just been, he's part of that lost in the shuffle this season with a new line, new line mates every other night. It's so hard to try and get anything going. At least, you know, Caulfield and Paling looked good in this. I can't really say that about 
literally anyone else on this team tonight. I know Brett Kulak scored a goal, but I couldn't say anything outside of that. It's it's getting tough to find the silver linings in some of these. Because like you said, if you win 6-5, just go full send, pew pew, have fun with it. When you sit there and just get beat up like Homer and his boxing matches over and over and over again, it's no fun watching it. And it's demoralizing. I'll add this too. I don't even think the Canadians need to lose 6-5. At this point, I think Canadians fans would be happy with like a 2-0 or a 3-0 loss or like 4-1 or 4-2. Just like six, seven. like se- <laughs> seven, one, eight, two. That's embarrassing. It's it's bad. It's bad. This is how bad the Canadians are. Watch the Canadians are gonna play some game against some team. They're gonna lose like three nothing. You're gonna be like, man, they they really played well tonight. <laughs> That's how bad it's gonna get for this team. Oh God. Here's They're here's terrible. a question for you guys. Don't look. Please don't cheat. Who okay. do you think among the Canadians forwards got the most even strength ice time tonight? Oh, no. Um, who would you guess? Who was rewarded for playing well? I'm going to say Jake Evans. No. Uh, I'm oh. going to say, so it's not Jake Evans. It's not Ryan Paling. I'm going to make my answer Brendan Gallagher. Mike Hoffman. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. Actually, no, rocks off. Boom, 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 boom. Mike Hoffman, 15 <laughs> minutes, 25 seconds. Played, let's see here, uh, four, <laughs> almost four more minutes than Ryan Paling. I didn't know Mike Hoffman was playing until he tried to fight Thomas Tatar at the end of the game. <laughs> that's, that's oh, a, my. That's God. a fight from Mike Hoffman, man. Oh. Got to admire the fight. He didn't even get a chance to fight him. He just kind of went in there, and then they skated away, and it was about the same effort he puts into most of his shifts in the game anyways. So uh, it's – oh, hey, man. Hey, actually, talking of moral victories, you know, the fact that a player stepped up after a Canadian's player was knocked on his ass, very much a moral victory. The fact that Mike Hoffman stepped up for Nick Suzuki after he got bowled over by Thomas Tatar – that is a moral victory for this Montreal Canadiens team. At the very least, we could say the Montreal Canadiens will step up for their players when they get their asses handed to them and bulldoze. Sometimes. We can, we can't say, sometimes. <laughs> Are they going to do it to Jeff Petrie when he keeps shoving players into his own goalies? Because he did that again tonight. I don't. I can't remember who he shoved into Caden Primo, but he did it again. After he scored, right? Yeah, and it's just stop doing it. I I appreciate Jeff Petrie and all that he's done, but I am begging you to stop yeeting players into your goaltenders. We don't have any left for you to have run into anymore. Maybe we're down to the last to play two. goal, and he's like, if I injure all the goalies, I'll get to play goalie. And I in comes Joe Verbatic from the OHL, <laughs> and Jeff's gonna throw someone into him too, and we're just gonna be down to. Whoever the goaltending, uh, we're going to get an e-bug at some point in Montreal. Frederick Decau, call him up. Yo, he's over in Sweden. Who... <laughs> oh, man. I got two quotes from Josh Anderson that I just saw on the timeline. Uh, I feel embarrassed, to be honest with you. And uh, he also said at one point, we have to make hockey fun again. Can we stop he's right. like saying we have to do mm, again? Like, can we stop that? That was oh, very much true. like, yeah. I mean, yeah. stop doing that. <laughs> Anderson's like, good friends with Max ago, Domi, so yeah, he's probably on that, that train. Far. I would not uh, go that far. I'm not going to talk about his politics. I have a uh, counter quote to that, and this comes from head coach Dominique Ducharme. They were opportunistic. Wow. What is that supposed to mean? You think it they means that they took was, the, the plethora of opportunities to score goals on the Canadians tonight. That's what happened. Okay, that, that's great. I was opportunistic when they told me to work at the SDPN with Andrew. I don't know if I would say the same. I don't know if that's the same type of opportunity that the Montreal Canadians got tonight. I, I he, was he paying attention? I don't like, think so. I think he was fixing his max most of the time and wasn't paying attention to what was happening on the ice, which was an ass kicking for the second straight month. Like, like I, no. listen, to give Ducharme a tiny shred of not even credit, but understanding after the first period, the Canadians were much better than they were in the first period. But here's the thing. 
they were already losing. So a lot of that was score effects and the Devils sitting back. And like, yeah, sure, they were opportunistic in the second and third periods, but they already won the game in the first period because he only scored one goal. So <laughs> that first period against a team that played last night that got rocked by the Ottawa friggin' Senators, by the way, who aren't very good. I know they're on a little heater right now, and I, last I checked, they were beating Carolina. But still, by the Ottawa Senators, without Drake Batherson, Canadians controlled 12.3% of the expected goals in that first period. High danger chances were 7-1 to one for the Devils. 11-3 to three in scoring chances for the Devils. Shots on net, 11-5. to five. And I feel like that Man. 5 is very generous for the Montreal Canadiens because they did not do much in that first period. So the idea that the Devils were just opportunistic and that was the difference between the game is absolutely delusional. And that kind of leads me to my next topic is like, I know it's difficult because the Canadians have already said they don't want to make a coaching change this season, but Pierre Lebrun mentioned on the broadcast the idea of possibly just letting Luke Richardson ride the season out. And it's unfortunate. We don't really have the Francophone perspective here, but I feel like with names like Hughes, Gorton, and then Richardson, it might be a, a one step too far for certain members of the Francophone media. <laughs> I don't know if they can do that this year, especially with so few Francophone players on the team without facing a serious kind of heat, which is a tough way to open up your stretch as a management group in Montreal. But at the same time, like at a certain point, Ducharme is kind of making his, like he's putting the nails into his own coffin, right? Like I don't dealt a shit hand, but you got to do something successful here. I'll just say this with the broad. I felt that the way that he kind of, phrased uh the idea of dominic ducharme stepping aside for luke richardson i i still just i heard the broadcast too on tsn i think he made it sound as if it's not necessarily something that the canes were actively considering or i just think it's like hey like what do you do with the situation is that what you do or do you put luke richardson in i don't know like that's that's how pierre lebrun was trying to frame it at least from how i heard it I didn't necessarily think he was trying to make it seem as if that was the Canadians were, was doing. No, Canadians no, no. Doing. I, I agree. We all know if LeBron was, we all know if that was a legit thing, that would be all over the timeline right now. And we would be spending a good chunk of time talking about that. But that, being yeah, he said, wasn't like, posting I, like, I, or he wasn't saying like insider, this is what they're going to do. He was yeah throwing it out there as like, this is something that they could do. Maybe who knows? Yeah. But like, but like if he's saying know, it at man. all at this stage, you have to think that there's a possibility, and I didn't think it was a possibility a month ago. Yeah, but like the Canadians are just coming off a bye week where yeah. they had ample time to say, you know what? You they they didn't even have to do it on the Monday first thing. You could just say, you know what? Let everyone chill the Monday, Tuesday, and then on Wednesday you announce, okay, Luke Richardson is going to be head coach until the end of the year. And if people are going to make a whole language thing out of it. I mean, like, what What else do you expect to have happen? You know, Luke Richardson even took over for the team in the playoffs when Dominic Ducharme was in COVID protocol. I mean, he did the a great Canadians job, as they are. He did a good job. He, he did yeah. a very good job. Uh, I, I have to say, uh, and I have to, I feel like I have to do this with Luke Richardson every time now because when the Canadians were were playing the season before the Panini happened, when they went through that stretch of time in the in the bubble in the bubble year or the Canadian Division year, where they really looked sloppy in that second half of the year, my whole thinking was the Canadians were making all these changes, or one change that had to be made was Luke Richardson being removed from his position as assistant coach, just because I felt that the defense was not up to snuff. But Luke Richardson has proved that. He is, in fact, a good coach. And I think because of how well he did with the Canadians in the postseason, I mean, how many times have you heard anyone suggest, hey, you know what the Canadians should do to really spice things up? Get rid of Luke Richardson. I have heard that a grand total of zero times this year. Dominic Ducharme, obviously. Bergevin, obviously, he's got to go. I have not heard anyone say that Luke Richardson is the problem. So I have a weird – I feel as if, like, Luke Richardson, if he ends up being the coach, like – I can't help but think that there aren't going to be too many people who are going to be complaining about it. And let's also just say this too: the people who complain about language 
in Quebec. Uh, I understand. Uh, French is obviously the dominant language in Quebec. Uh, it's great to be able to learn English and French. It's good to see, you know, the culture that's there and all that. And, and there's so many things that are part of Quebec culture and not just one thing. But the people who I find make a big deal about it, and that was especially the case when Kent Hughes got hired, it's a vocal minority. It's a, it's a very vocal minority who wants to make themselves heard or write stupid columns in the Journal de Montréal. Excuse me. No disrespect to the publication. They're great. But there are people there who write bad columns there. It, facts are facts. But there are also bad people who write columns for other publications that I'm not going to mention right now because whatever. <laughs> All that to say, it's a very vocal minority of people who want to make themselves heard about this issue. And if it ever got to a point where the Canadian said, you know what, man, we're, we, we have no choice. We have to put Luke Richardson in. Dude, at this point, this team's not going anywhere. If people are going to really lose their minds over it, like consider the team you're, you're shitting a break over. And at the end of the day, the people who are going to lose their minds – Again, a vocal minority. They got to tune up the noise. There are going to be a lot more people. There are already a lot more people who are pissed at the team as is compared to who's going to coach the team right now. Yeah, I think I feel like ignoring a vocal minority is is something that we should all be practicing right now as the idiots campaigning in the middle of the street in Ottawa are proving once again that uh, they will be very loud and have very few people there. But yeah, I, I just <laughs> I was with you, Julian, actually last year with the whole Luke Richardson thing. He was one of the guys that I was like, this guy's kind of got to go because I looked at his whole history as essentially the PK and defense coach, and it's not great, but he seems to be maybe a better head coach. And I know from talking to people that uh, the players really like him. So that also helps, you know, and especially in a short term situation where you're taking over as the head coach, it seemed like the players were willing to run through a wall for him. So mm-hmm. that was something. And again, the thing that I hesitate to push a coaching change for is you don't necessarily want them to start winning. <laughs> if the coach is a big part of them losing, you but what are, but what are, but with, the, with the roster as it is right now, like what winning are they going to do? What would Andrew look at the roster on the team right now? You it's mean bad. to tell me, you mean to tell me a coaching change is going to make them into a winner? No, no, no but no, they no, might no, beat no. the Answer devils for real. For real, <laughs> be, be real with me. You look, look at the roster as it is right now. You mean to tell me this roster winning some games, maybe against the devils? They might win a consecutive game. That's it. Yeah, not too. They're not going to go on a run. Yeah, they're not going to go on a run. But they're going to be better. If Price came back and he's like playoff Price, then they could, you know, go on a run by accident. You know, but (laughs) with the goalies that they got in right now, it's not going to happen. Nah, man. Playoff Price. Playoff Price. Look, the Canadians should be happy if they get if Carey Price is able to play at all. You know yes. what I'm saying? I don't even know if the Canadians are going to be able to get playoff price. It, Kent Hughes doesn't even know that. Kent Hughes has to figure that out. I mean, Carey Price the Canadians need to figure that out. Carey Price doesn't even know if he'll be able to play. The fact that he was willing to talk to us uh, before the break, uh, us as in the media, like, I mean, hey, you know, we pre- I'm sure we all appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of people are happy to see that he's okay, or at least seems like he's okay since he's gotten out of the player assistance program. Man, just... I don't even like I, I and I know Arpin Basu made the point that you know, people should stop making the point that he shouldn't be able to pl- that he shouldn't play the rest of the year. This is really for him to do. I get all of that. There's no real point for Carey Price to play the games in this season. The only thing that would do is just for him. And that's important. But like if you're the Canadians, like why are you rushing for Carey Price to get back? Yeah, a friend of the show, Jared Book, says that it's not about wins or losses. It's about changing the culture, changing the vibe. I think that is a big thing. Like if the vibes are bad, the vibes are bad. But I think that's one of those things where do we know if Ducharme is part of the reason why the vibes are bad? Right. Do the players not like playing for him? It seems like Jeff Petrie doesn't like playing for him just based on some of the choice quotes that have come this season. But it seems like Jeff Petrie is going to be on the move soon anyway. So it's like between the pandemic, between the losing, between all the injuries, I don't know if you can necessarily 
create a situation where the vibes are suddenly good again. You know what I mean? Like it's it's great to think about it, and I feel like the the organization could really benefit from trying to build towards next season and try to have the players thinking positively. But for me personally, I just don't know how you get there. I don't know who could do that. Like, who's this amazing coach who could make all the players happy all of a sudden? I have I have a quote. So I realize that now at this point, we're kind of just reading off whatever uh, quotes we get from the uh, media availability here. Uh, Jared Book, um, of once again, our, our good buddy Jared Book, uh, I believe he's probably listening to the press conference. Uh, Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette, our good buddy who's on uh, the Hockey Inside Out show, uh, asked Dominic Ducharme, are you concerned that players are giving up? Dominic Ducharme responds, no, dot, dot, dot. I don't feel that at all. So I want to go back to last year. It was one of Caden Primo's first games in the NHL last year, and he was getting absolutely torched against the Leafs. And there's this really awkward interaction where Josh Anderson comes out in between periods, kind of, you know, gives him a pat on the back. They chat for a little bit. And then Primo standing in the tunnel as the coaches walk by and Ducharme looks at him. And there's this really just awkward eye contact and fist bump and Ducharme just kind of walks away. And I, it, it, there's something weird that something just doesn't connect. And yeah, the playoffs were great, but the Canadians under Ducharme last year after they fired Claude Julian, were also not very good or very consistent for a while there. And they got bailed out by some goal scoring, um, some timely goals by some veterans, and just people who were very good last year kind of saved that. And when everything got stacked against him, there's no bailing out right now. And it looks like it's all on Ducharme, and the playoffs were just its own thing. Part of that is Carey Price was immaculate for about as long as he could be. It's all so tough. Like, I don't want to put it all on him. There's injuries, this, that, and the other thing. But at some point, you got to do something. And I, man, I just, I don't even know if firing the coach is like, is bringing Guy Boucher going to fix things? I don't think so. Is bringing Joel Bouchard back from San Diego going to fix things? No. And they're not going to take Jean-Francois Houle out of Laval in the middle of the season when the Rocket are very good or are playing well under him right now and just mess all that up too. There's not an easy solution. I don't envy Kent Hughes trying to figure this out. Even if it is Luke Richardson, the last thing we want is a repeat of Randy Cunningworth having a bus driven over him because of how they, you know, handled the coaching change there. Where's Randy right now? Yeah, where is Randy right now? That's a good question. I'm going to look that up. But I think the main thing that I'm looking at with this team is like, they're not going to make a coaching change that would be anything other than in, like an interim, right? Because there's right. no reason for Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon to rush into the decision. This one like going to be one of the biggest decisions going forward for them. It it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, as far as I can tell, Honeyworth has not done anything in hockey according to Hockey DB since 2015-16. He was fired in 2017 by Jason Botterill as he was a member of the scouting staff for the Buffalo Sabres. Okay. So he hasn't been coaching since 2015-16. He might be in Florida on a boat fishing right now for all we know. I hope he's happy. I yes. I have nothing against <laughs> yeah. more importantly than anything. I hope he's. I don't happy think he was an healthy. issue. Yeah, so that it's like you know, like people who've been demonized in their short time with the Canadians, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I think the coaching change is just—it's one of those things where it sounds good, but I don't think it's happening. It's probably not realistic. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, Benoit Gruel. Uh, I think he's in the Lightning organization. I doubt they're going to give him. He's up the Syracuse fight. Crunch head coach, and he comes to Laval Wednesday night. Three game series led by Charles Houdon and Gabriel Dumont, baby. We got the Ice Caps Revenge series going on. Dumont and Houdon are back in town. So poor Kevin Poulin's going to get scored on so much by the two of them. We'll we'll take (laughs) it. I'm going to go on Wednesday. I'm going to take in the HL game. So uh, I get to watch uh, the Rocket, the team. I'm going to try to cover uh, the team I used to intern for, the uh, the Crunch. I would would, uh, give you a heads up. They are missing their top three centers, potentially one of their other top wingers, and they are down to their fourth and fifth choice goaltenders. So, yeah. I don't think people (laughs) – I don't know if people know this. People are watching the show. Uh, but like the cruncher also how like Scott and I met. And if it wasn't for Scott and I meeting, I would have not ended up at EOTP at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know, but like that, that played a huge role. 
I saved Julian from taking a very, very uh, potentially (laughs) ill-timed job (laughs) with another abs website. At the eleventh hour, I got Julian. I helped uh, Julian get in at EOTP. (laughs) I'm not gonna. I don't have any ill will towards the the uh, unnamed website, uh, (laughs) but I was very close to joining them until Scott asked me to join EOTP. I was. I like like I. This how close I was. I wrote up the email and like I had it in the drafts, like ready to send. Like that's how close I was. That's how close I was. And then as soon as little things change the course of history. I mean, yeah, like I mean, like with with like I we bet you all the time online, but like I met Andrew because uh got another guy who worked for Habs Eyes on the Prize, uh, Mark Dumont. I tried to reach out to him for an interview. He had no interest in talking to me whatsoever. <laughs> and he pawned me off to Berkshire. And then Berkshire and I met. And look what happened. Now I'm 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 doing shows with Berkshire and Mark works for the Canadians now. I mean, Mark's Mark's doing okay, but like Mark in a weird way also opened a door for me while also not talking to me at the same time. So lo and behold, you know, be careful who you shut out in your life. You get big timed by Mark Dumont and you still make it in the industry. <laughs> I can't wait till I big time him. I can't wait till he like asks me for something. And then I'm like, yeah, why don't you go talk to someone else? <laughs> I don't do that, Mark. Don't do that, Mark. Who are you, Mark? Who cares? All right. I got one other topic to talk about. But before I do that, I got to tell everybody to go download the SDPN app. Go to their merch store. Buy some Game Over merchandise like this beautiful cup. And also check out Game Over International. I'm going to self-plug because that show is taking a lot out of me so far. I was talking with friends this afternoon. I guess not this afternoon. And I am sleeping during the Olympics so far an average of four and a half hours a day. So uh, please make it worth it for me. <laughs> Go watch Game Over International. I have Sean Fitzgerald coming on tomorrow morning. So we're on at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on SDPN on both their Twitter and their YouTube. We'll, we're simulcast just like we are right now. And also you can check out the podcast, download Game Over International, wherever you can get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Robert asks, how are you alive? I don't know how I'm alive. It's a rough go. How are you going to really do tough. Game Over International and uh, Game Over Montreal on the weekend, Andrew? How yeah. is that ever going to happen? Well, you see, Julian, <laughs> this guy named Julian McKenzie is going to do Game Over Montreal on the weekend. He's saving You're giving money. Julian he another sucks. job? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Julian's got so he many sucks. jobs. I hear he's terrible. <laughs> I only he made some tweet thing. about how Caden Primo should be sent to the Viners and the Canadians should, you know, find some other goalie to take the pucks. And what insight from that guy? He sucks. Boo, hiss, boo. And also on, tomato, the, weekends, on the weekends for Game Over International, I should also mention that the host is not me. It's uh, Tic Tac Omar, nope. our good buddy, who's been doing great. He did great last weekend. Got some cool guests from the Leafs Nation to talk Olympics. So there's so much to talk about. The men's hockey tournament is starting in a couple of days here. That's super fun as well. Women's hockey tournament has been fantastic watching Nat Spooner and uh, Sarah Fillier just absolutely crush it. Sarah Nurse. Oh, my God. She's been amazing. Sarah Nurse. I've never seen her play this well. So a lot of awesome stuff there. (laughs) <laughs> Adam's a tyrant to Andrew. <laughs> Andrew's a tyrant to <laughs> Yeah, you see how it, you see how it is. You see how it is, man. It, that's how it is. Yes, DPN has black people working on a weekend. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I understand. I understand. Whoever made that comment, I understand. Oh I, my I, god. I understand. Disrespecting <laughs> Black History Month too. <laughs> All this is, they got black people working on a weekend for this. Oh my god. <laughs> yo, yo. And don't and I know with Adam, if you if you drink too many of those bubblies, actually I got some in the fridge. I'll pull one out actually. But if you drink any of those bubblies, man, he got he got you. <laughs> oh god. All right. So oh, last man. topic of the show tonight. Good the Montreal Canadians in the offseason. Bring back one PK Subban unrestricted free agent his decline is real he's probably not going to be asking that much money and probably not that much term it's he's open to it he mentioned today i read a a column from Stu cowan in the montreal gazette he doesn't rule it out 
I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, if you're shipping Petrie out, Sherratt's gone and you don't have any other ready-made like NHL top four quality defensemen. Why the hell not? Like at least give the people who are going to be there, you know, one of their old heroes back, give them something to cheer for. I mean, we don't need him to be 26 minute a night, 30 minute a night PK Subban. It's, Hey, come here, score some power play goals, you know, give the fans something to cheer for and sell a, friggin' truckload of 76 jerseys once again and make back some of that money you lost during this pandemic. Yeah, man. It's an easy PR move. If we consider the last, like, what, six or seven months for the Montreal Canadiens, this is a team that is picking up the pieces off the fact that they're going through the worst season of its franchise. And that came after they got rid of a few fan favorites and guys like Philip Deneau and the whole Logan Mayu ordeal as it is uh yeah i can't imagine that uh the brand is looking too good for the montreal canadians right now that's just an easy pr signing uh and i mean if 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 pk is willing to play the role of mentor for some of the younger players on the team as a guy who uh was in montreal in his younger days knows a thing or two about uh playing in the market obviously if he's matured if he's at a point where he's willing to take on that role and responsibility, it could work out maybe, but yeah, I, I think it'd be nothing more than that. But uh, I, you also have to wonder if PK Subban would want to play on a contending team as well, depending on what those offers might be as well. I still think though, even if he does make it seem as if he wants to play hockey, I have a hard time seeing him uh, waiting. If it gets to that point, like waiting until like August for like a PTO to play on some team when ESPN is like right there being like, dude, take the broadcasting money. You're a natural already as it is on camera. Come get this money and, and, and talk about hockey and be a stellar analyst or, or personality at the very least, as opposed to trying to hope for dear life to crack a roster for, for a team that might need you on a PTO. That's, that's just the way that I feel. I think the interest in him would be, yeah. I think there's a lot of interest in a player like him too. Even if it's one to two years on a relatively cheap deal, there's any number of teams that are like, hey, we need to round out the defense. Subban could be a power play weapon. He's a guy who brings experience to that. He's been to the Stanley Cup final. He's been into the playoffs with the Habs, obviously not with the Devils since he's been traded there. But there's people who are, going to act, who are looking for that. And then once he gets to a certain point uh, in his career with his whenever his uh, he crosses that age threshold there, like you said, ESPN's right there. Any broadcasting company who has any deal with hockey would love to have that personality on there because it becomes must watch TV, honestly. Like ESPN, yeah, hey, we're going to pay PK Subban a truckload of money to come in and basically just ruined John Tortorella's entire life in the studio. And honestly, <laughs> it, it's pretty great because you have Torres can come and, in and poo-poo everything, but PK is just going to come in, bright suit, and he's just going to do the exact opposite of what Torts does the entire time. And Torts is just going to get more and more red in the face. And it's going to be hilarious, much-watched TV, honestly. And depending on what whatever contract he might sign with ESPN, he could find a way to get money from them and money from Sportsnet too, if he's able to finagle it right. So that way he could be at one on one week, maybe disagreeing with John Tortorella on one take. And then he's just yucking it up with Ron McLean on another week. That's not Elliot Friedman's hair. Yeah, like chirping back and forth with Kevin Bieksa. Like if I'm PK Subban and NHL teams just say, you know what, man, we're not going to pay you all that much money. We're only going to have you on a PTO. Why go through that and put your body through more rigors and stuff when you could be making that broadcast money and conserving your body as you go through the rest of your rest of your life? At this point, like PK Subban. Look, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. We know he he has the gold medal. Uh, I know we know he didn't play in the Olympics that much. He has the Norris Trophy. Like he, he just plays 800th NHL game. Like there's no shame in the career that PK Subban had, turning himself into one of the, the league's most premier personalities, and at his peak, has himself some pretty badass memories uh, and, and and moments as an NHL player. 
Like I, I say this all the time with that trade with, with Nashville, Montreal, like the biggest winner was PK Subban because of his, his, his visibility just grew in spades. And at the end of all this, with all the money that he's made, he's going to laugh all the way to the bank. So I get that there's pride for an NHL player wanting to play, but considering how things can go in an NHL career, I don't think you lose anything by just saying, you know what, man, let me just get these ESPN checks. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think the thing that annoys me about the last couple of years of PK Subban, and you mentioned like he won't be a Hall of Famer, he should be a Hall of Famer, but his career just hasn't gone that way. Like if he had just hung on and been half as good as he was his first year in Nashville over the last couple uh, years here. We would be talking about him as a Hall of Fame guy because this is a guy who's been nominated for the Norris three times, you know, won it once, probably should have won it twice in Montreal. But the fact is, if you don't have that longevity and you don't win a Stanley Cup, you don't get in. And that's unfortunate. I feel like if he were interested in coming back to Montreal, to me, there would essentially be two caveats. The first is he would have to change his game a significant amount because I find like watching PK, he's somewhere along the line has bought into what someone else has told him makes him special, but it's not what makes him special. You go back and watch PK Subban highlights in Montreal and on the power play, he's more like Andre Markov than Shea Weber. He had the big shot, yeah, but he was trying to make seam passes all the time, right? Like, that was his big thing. Or he would drive down deep and find somebody across the net or cut around around the net. And now it's just like the big slapper over and over and over again, and he's not as effective. And the same token in the defensive end, you know, he was beaten down so much by Michel Therrien and that coaching staff into dump a puck off the glass, dump the puck off the glass. That's all he does now. No player over the last like five years or so has dumped the puck out more often than PK Subban, which is crazy because he has the skill to carry the puck and the skill to move the puck. So those things I would say like he has to change up and I think he'd has to alter his workout regimen to be built more towards speed and less towards like being physical along the boards because he's lost a lot of that quickness that it made him so, uh, amazing to watch early in his career i think there's a recoverable thing with pk it's just is he willing to make those decisions and be in a leadership role essentially right lead the next generation in like how to play in montreal and thrive in montreal because i think it could be a gigantic pr win to bring him back but the one thing that like makes me wonder if it's worth it for him and for the canadians is if he stays the player that he is right now and he comes back, does it tarnish his legacy as a Montreal Canadian? Because right now, if you just look at his career with the Montreal Canadiens, it is spectacular. He was, at that time, at worst, the second best defenseman in the league over his tenure with the Montreal Canadiens. Only Eric Carlson was consistently better. So to come back now, if he just gets like lit up, like if he has a season like Jeff Petrie's having, Everybody's going to be on him, even in a bad season. You know, like everyone knows this season is a joke, but everyone's still on Jeff Petrie, right? And I don't want that to happen to another guy that a lot of us consider like a Habs legend. You know what I mean? Well, at least in that case, if it happens with PK, like I think people have to understand, people should at least understand that the PK Subban that that they'd be watching has clearly fallen off from his better days, whereas opposed to Jeff Petrie, Yes, he has the backdrop of a season that nobody expected to have go this wrong. But at the beginning of this year, if NHL players were still going to the Olympics, people had him listed as like a, a, a as a potential defenseman playing in Beijing. Like the the fall off for Jeff Petrie, and I understand in the second half of last year, like he already kind of started to decline, and he also had to deal with injuries as well. But like the fall off has been is much more drastic mm-hmm. for, for Jeff Petrie, a guy who was essentially like Scott is, is definitely been this guy who's been flying this flag about Jeff Petrie being the best defenseman on this team for the last time many years, even with Shea Weber in the lineup. So people thought that even if Shea Weber was not going to be around, Jeff Petrie would firmly blossom as the guy, as the best defenseman on this team. And he has not done that. If PK Subban were to do that next year, and presumably if he were to be signed, what the Canadians have him as what, like a fourth, fifth, sixth defenseman on this team. The expectations are not going to be the same compared to what Jeff Petrie uh, has gone through this year. I know we're using those two as an example, but still. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know how much 
uh, PK playing like PK as he is now would affect his his legacy. It can't be that much. Like, I mean, the goals that he scored in Montreal to add to his lore in the city, not to mention the donation to the children's hospital, those will dwarf anything that he'd do in a Canadian's uniform well past his prime. I, I really would like to see it's it is tough because, like you said, you don't want to pile on a guy who comes here and who bleeds for Montreal. We know PK loves the city, and a good chunk of the city still loves him. You you don't want to see them come back and not and be a shell of themselves. It's kind of why Mark Bergevin didn't sign Andre Markov when he had the opportunity to come back, and it's he just didn't have it. And you don't want to watch that guy that you saw at their peak, their absolute best, like 2014 PK Subban in the playoffs against the Bruins and against the lightning and everything was on another stratosphere compared to everyone else. We've seen Andre Markov be that good. It it would be, it's so tough that you don't want them to come back. And it's kind of like watching that old horse try and still go around, you know, out in the yard there. And it's just not the same. I, I think that if they have the right coaching staff in place, and right now that is not Dominique Ducharme, unfortunately, I think that they can, you know, modify that game there and be like, hey, this is what we want you to do and play to that strength there. And they can get something out of that. And I, I, I want to see that. I'd like to see 76 come back and his career in Montreal and then go on to whatever is next for him. I think he'd make a great team ambassador. I think he'd do really well if he goes into media. There's the sky is the limit for him after his playing career is done. But selfishly as a fan, why not have a mentor for that? I look at a player like Jaden Struble who plays at Northeastern. He's that just a freak of an athlete. He's a physical specimen built like PK Subban was when he broke into the league. That's a guy who's going to be coming into the Canadians organization in the next couple of years. Who better to mentor someone who, you know, plays that same way than the guy who perfected that style at the NHL? Well, not, maybe not perfected, but did that for the Canadians. It's, there's a lot of positives, and even if he's not what he was and we're not expecting him to be, there's so many positives to take from that that it's hard to really ignore the possibility of doing that. And like we said, he, the Canadians are going to be the only team potentially interested in a free agent P.K. Subban at this point. Yeah, and I think the other thing we mentioned earlier about you know vibes, right, and having fun. I don't know who brings more fun than P.K. Subban. You know, like... He can't do what he used to do, obviously, on the ice, but he just seems to have an aura around him that brings fun. Obviously, there's some people who have friction with him just because, I mean, honestly, he he never stops talking, right? And some people can't handle that. But it seems like with Nashville, from people that I talk to, and in New Jersey, he has really vibed well, especially with the young players in those locker rooms. And I feel like that could bring a lot of value beyond the on-ice product from P.K. Subban in Montreal. I'm I'm interested in the idea of it. I think it would be really fun. And I think PK getting a chance to play again in Montreal. Maybe we see more of the best of PK because he's always to me struck me as a guy who has thrived when there's pressure. And frankly, yeah. there's not a lot of pressure in New Jersey. And I think that he would care a lot more on the ice in Montreal. But before we go, there was another question here saying uh, should the Canadians bring in Nazem Kadri? This summer, because you know he grew up a Canadians fan, bring in Kadri and Subban, that brings a lot of fun. Here's the thing, though, Nazem Kadri is going to make like ten million dollars this off season. <laughs> Before this season, I wanted it so badly. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. It doesn't line up for the Canadians' rebuild or for Kadri's career. Like he wants to go to a contender. There's no way it makes sense for him. And like, is I would love to see Kadri in a Canadians jersey. I love him as a player. And he seems like a good kid, too. I mean, I say he's a kid, but not a kid. He's like 31. Yeah, he's yeah. not that much younger than me. I just, I just, everybody who I can remember being drafted, I think they're a kid. <laughs> I'll say this about Kadri. Like, I, I guess it really depends on what he wants. Because if he wants to go to a contending team, think of all the contending teams that are good right now. How many of them can afford Nazem Kadri at nine, 10 million a year? Yeah, not many. If but if Nazem Kadri wants nine ten million a year, and if the Canadians offload enough assets, maybe they could do that. And if Nazem Kadri is cool with getting that bag out in Montreal, 
you know, maybe you sell them on the idea that the first two years of that deal that you sign are not going to be great, but year three, four, five could be a lot better. I wonder what the New Jersey Devils said. Is that what they said to Dougie Hamilton when they signed? Because the, the Devils right now are not a good team, but Dougie Hamilton still signed in New Jersey anyway. Right. And that's what it is. Maybe you, you maybe guy, there are guys around the league who realize, you know what? Like, I want the bag. I want the money. And Nazem Kadri, I get it. Like, there's nothing wrong with him trying to do that. But if you're, and if you're the Montreal Canadiens, and if you're in a position where you can get that to him, I don't see a reason why not. He'd be their best center in quite some time. You consider the center depth as it is right now, you could slot him either above or below Nick Suzuki. Uh, that's the only co- competition he has at that position. And that only really depends on, on, on Nick's strides and how he how his chemistry goes with certain line mates, obviously. But yeah, I, I, if the Canadians are able to bring in Nazem Kadri, I, th- I think that makes sense. You just have to kind of sell him on the idea that he's not going to win right away. But you do that by giving him as much money as you can. Yeah, to your point, Julian, about Kadri maybe chasing the money, his last contract, he's been severely on. And it was mm-hmm. a very friendly contract that he signed with the Lula Morello and the Leafs. So it, it might be the same situation as like Max Pacioretty, where like, yeah, he went to a contender, but he was also looking to secure the bag there as well. And if Kadri wins the Stanley Cup this year with Colorado, winning again right away may not be the highest of priorities, right? It may be securing a future for him and his family. It, it, that, that was my thought is I'm like, if he wins the Stanley Cup this year, if the Colorado Avalanche finally win the Stanley Cup again, is he more willing to kind of go, okay, I've got my cup. I had, you know, all this, you know, success here. I don't mind taking a step back for the Canadians and playing with Nick Suzuki and Patrice Bergeron in Montreal next season. Like, oh and just, just imagine it. You have Nick oh Suzuki. Oh my God. You're not serious. <laughs> I mean, I've had stranger suggestions before. So like, I, oh I, I am I am all in on Kent Hughes signing his former client to the Canadians this offseason. Stop it. No, because it's going to infuriate Bruins fans. And then like when they you, have to I play the Leafs. enough of those flaming Mountain Dews, my dude. What are you doing, brother? <laughs> I'm having fun because the Canadians have won eight games in this season. And it's wow. this or I Is look at not going to Montreal. I mean, I think it would be great. I, I it, put it, it out there as a joke when they first signed Kent Hughes because... He's Bergeron's agent, and Bergeron is an unrestricted free agent. Bergeron is from the province of Quebec. I know people say he grew up a Nordiques fan, but the Nordiques ceased to exist when he was like nine. So <laughs> I don't give a crap that he was a Nordiques fan. Most Nordiques fans in this province are Canadians fans now. So it doesn't make sense to what me. About the that ones that joined the Avalanche? Maybe not. Nah, I don't think you care about the Avalanche. I don't, I don't know how many Nordiques fans went with them to the Avalanche. I feel like that's a very small number. Would it be funny though if Bergeron like signed with the Avalanche on the cheap? I mean, it would define be. fun like be unfair. Yeah, unfair. Like, yeah, we've got you know Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, and also Patrice Bergeron's just kind of there. It's he, he'd be he'd just replace Nazem Kadri on that team. Honestly, that it's like Nazem Kadri is almost an afterthought despite leading the team in points this season because. Rantanen and McKinnon and Cal McCarr are just absolutely out of this world. So every single game, it's just unfair. I want to make a bet with Scott about Patrice Bergeron because oh, there's no. absolutely no chance that. Patrice Do I have Bergeron to eat is- something? <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, hot ones gauntlet. Uh- I, yes. I will do the hot Actually, ones gauntlet. Yes. I swear to God, I will do the yes. hot ones gauntlet. Yes, that's that's the deal. If. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, okay, how do we do this? So, like, if Patrice Bergeron joins the Montreal Canadiens, I guess. Uh, hmm. Julian, does I guess I got it. I got, <laughs> I got to do the Hot Ones Gauntlet again. Um, but if Patrice Bergeron does not join the Montreal Canadiens, Scott, you have to do the Hot Ones Gauntlet, uh, and you have to do it on YouTube with uh, Laura watching. Laura does not have to. I would not subject her to that. She has to do something for 500 subscribers. Like, (laughs) yeah, no way. Like, and, and, and like, also when you're doing it, I want like Andrew and I we will get, we'll like hang out with Laura too. Laura, by the way, 
is uh, you can follow her at the active stick. She is uh, Scott's co-host on uh, the locked on uh, Munchak podcast. That's a uh, Scott co-host every day. So Laura, <laughs> this Laura's sounds a also an EOTP alum as well. That's right. Yes. All right. We got one will, comment uh, here that I want to go through before we wrap it up. And that was uh, from Robert Solomon's Sullivan, sorry, saying if they sign Kadri, they could run a Kadri Anderson Gallagher line. That is the most ultimate shit disturber, annoying person line of all time. Brad Marchand. And two thirds of, of it would be a London Knights line. This is uh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see what Brad Marchand did tonight? I haven't watched the video, but it also coincided with uh, Marcus Foligno kneeing Adam Lowry in the face. So yeah, it's been a banner nuts. night across the NHL. <laughs> it's so. nuts. What the hell is in the water, man? Like Brad Marchand already was getting antsy. Like at one point, like Sidney Crosby lost his stick and he literally got in his way to keep him from getting a stick at the bench. And and then he he runs up on Tristan Jerry and acts like a thug on him. Like, I don't know what his deal is. Well, he's Brad Marchand and he's Napoleon in hockey form. So he's got an ego the size of the city of Boston, but he's five foot six. So damn, you you really on one today, Scott. They've won eight games this season. It's all I have. Hey, that's not true. All I have is shit posting, Julian. It's all I have right now. That's not what your girl would say. And she's sleeping upstairs. I have the dog in the other room. Wow, you have no shame. Andrew, you see, this brother is sick. (laughs) Drop my earphone. We need the Montreal Canadiens to give Scott back meaning in his life. This brother is sick. (laughs) Brother is sick. Yeah, all I saw from Marshawn was him like uh, stealing a puck. It was like somebody's first goal puck, and he was like, "Nope, zoinks." Uh, Rashad does not care. He he is he is on one tonight. Uh, he yep. He comes in. He punched Tristan Jari basically in the back of the head. Like that's yeah, you know, uh, a couple months ago. That. I saw a, a good friend of mine who happens to be a Bruins fan at, in Edmonton, uh, Low Tide, the host of the Low Tide Show, talking about how Brad Marchand's penalties were down. And maybe he could be a Lady Bing candidate, similar to how like Stan Makita went from like penalty machine to cutting his penalties down to almost nothing. And I was like, no, man, no, <laughs> he's no, he's not sportsman. Not like, I don't give a crap if he's taking penalties or not. He's like the least sportsman like player in this league. Brad Marchand took that personally and just dialed the 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 shithousery up to eleven for the rest yeah. of the season. He has been so. Also, for Brad Marchand, he was given a uh, he was given a game misconduct for what he did to Tristan Jerry. So I, oh, wow. I believe he'll be subjected to to league review with that. And George Peros will cover his eyes and go, "Ah, it happens to the best of us. I understand, and nothing will change." So that's the NHL. Who hurt you? All right, you? I'm going to wrap it, boys. <laughs> it was a fantastic time hanging out with you tonight, and uh, for everyone who watched, get to sleep. Because it's time to get your Z's in before tuning into Game Over International in the morning, where I have Sean Fitzgerald joining me. And we're going to talk about everything that happened overnight, because I'm not sleeping. It's the way it goes. I sleep in the day now. All right, before I close things up, first Julian and then Scott, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Uh... The internet. No, I'm kidding. Um, Julian taking off guard. He's like, oh, I've got so many podcasts. Oh. I got so many to do. <laughs> um, brand, uh, I was on the athletic hockey show with Ian Mendez earlier this week. We had a conversation with uh, Mike Legg. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he's the guy who did the Zegras before Trevor Zegras, I think, was even born. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate, actually, because Zegras was born in 2000. Mike Legg did it in 95. Uh, we had a conversation with him. Uh, Chris Johnston show, of course, on the uh, the SDPN uh, brand new. Actually, I can say this, uh, this. Uh, so we had the episode with CJ on Monday. The new episode of the CJ show will come out on Friday. Normally, we have it Monday and Thursday. Uh, this week's uh, second episode of the week will come out on Friday instead of Thursday. And uh, obviously, later this week, there will be a new episode of Hockey Inside Out. And tomorrow, there should be a new episode of Zone Time through Yahoo Sports, uh, where we will hand out mid-season awards, uh, including Zone Time Moment of the Year 
and uh, worst take of the year. Uh, you'll like to, you should stay tuned for my pick because uh, I went a little bit off the board, but when you consider who the answer to that is, I think we can all agree that uh, that person may have the worst take of the first half of the season and by far this year. And you don't have to me. look that far. No, it's I was going to say, oh, no, Julian read my tweets. Oh, no, <laughs> this is no, terrible. No, 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 no. Gentlemen, this take is far worse than any tweet or any musing that John Tortorella could ever say. But you have to watch or listen to Zone Time tomorrow uh, to figure that out. It's a very bad take. I can't wait. I am very excited about this then. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott Matla. You can find me doing uh, Lockdown Canadians on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, articles, AHL stuff, all that over at Habs Eyes on the Prize. I only have like one-fifth the jobs Julian does, so I am uh, less prolific nowadays. Be thankful that you work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, So, yeah. Like that, threat, Julian. I was going to say, is Adam going to break Ooh. into my house and make me work now, too? Like... <laughs> You only get paid in carbonated flavored water. (laughs) I mean, there's uh, there's enough in the fridge. I can go get a Bud Light hard seltzer or something like I guess that counts, right? I guess. (laughs) Chaotic. All right. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. As always, when I end the show, if you're still tuning into this show with the way that the Canadian season is gone. I love you. It means a lot because that means you really love us. And there's not much else to tune in for, frankly. <laughs> Canadians aren't giving us much to work with here. We're making the conversation last. But I will say another tease. Next week on Thursday, Julian's going to be back. And there's going to be a special guest. Perhaps oh, yes. To break yes. down what's yes. going to happen for the Canadians at the deadline and going forward. Perhaps an SDPN insider. But it's not Smart Insider, man. I can guarantee <laughs> No Stim 8's going on here. All right, so thanks, everyone, for watching. I will see you again in, what, almost 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So seven hours about. Golly. Damn. See you, see you guys on the weekend.